You're listening to the Hillspring Church audio podcast. Hillspring exists so that all people can find and embrace a life of faith through Christ. For more information or to get involved, visit us on the web at hillspringchurch.org. How many of you have a collection of old things in your basement from the past? Put it up nice and high. I have some, I'll admit. What are some of the things that you have? (laughs) A huge Christmas village. I've seen that Christmas village. And so throughout the year, you've collected those things over the past and throughout the year that gets stored down there. Anyone else? Things from your past that you have stored in your basement. Photo albums down in the basement, okay. Anything else? Anything from your childhood that you still have kicking around? Sports trophies, absolutely. Toys, yep. Right, all sorts of things down there, right? Could be old sports jerseys, awards trophies. Anyone have rock collections or coin collections from the past? Any of that, okay. While I do receive great pleasure, I love to purge our house on a regular basis. I don't get tremendously emotionally attached to too many things. I like to get rid of them. Uh, I still have a few things I've collected throughout my life, you know, random things. And I'm going to show you some of those things this morning that I brought. And you might be like, you don't like purging if you have these things in your home, but random things. Okay. So random things like a wooden duck that I carved when I was younger, just bored one day and thought, why not make a duck? I don't want to leave that on camera. No one needs to see that all morning. <laughs> Uh, I have a case of old CDs from a band I was in in my teen years, and I just can't, you know, move myself to throw them out. I still have a case. We recorded the CD, we produced it, and then the band broke up, and we had boxes of CDs left, and so I still have a box, which is kind of funny, so I'm not sure what's going to happen with them. Uh, An old coin collection, all right? So as you can see, my interests were very diverse as a child, and they continue to be very diverse. In fact, they are diversifying all the time. But uh, coins from the early whatever century, a long time ago, the early 1920s and on. And then last but not least, I hope you're ready for this one. This one is a style statement like no other. And everyone has to have one of these. Let me put my mic. Else have a red leather jacket in their basement. All right, the Costa Championship jacket for our football team in high school. And let me tell you, if you got one of these in high school, you'd wear it around with pride. Uh, haven't worn it since. I don't know why. I mean, it's pretty stylish, right? All right, anyways. Uh, so, you know, we all have these things from our past that we keep, and that's going to be distracting. I'm just going to move this over here in our basements. And then we'll get started. All these things. And while some of us may have a collection of physical items hanging around in our lives, these aren't the only things that we collect in life or hang on to, are they? See, inside all of our hearts and all of our minds, we may also have a collection of things that we call regrets. Regrets. Things that you wish you did but didn't do. Things that you didn't do, but you wish that you did, right? Things that you didn't say that you wish you could go back 
and say or things that you wish you had said but you didn't say, right? It's, it's not uncommon to have a collection of regrets that grows throughout the years of our lives. You may have collected some regrets over the past few years in life, the past decade, or likely even some regrets from further back in life, such as your childhood or adolescence. And when I talk about regrets, I'm not talking about, you know, the powder blue tuxedo that Brad wore to his high school prom, right? Or the tattoo that you keep hidden from the rest of everyone else at church because you don't want them to know that you have it. But there are bigger regrets in life, like not being the mom or dad that you wish you had been, right? Or a season when you put in too much time at work and neglected your friends and family in order to try and achieve the goals that you had for yourself. The choice that you made to get intimately involved with that guy or girl only to have the relationship end and have your heart absolutely broken. That time that you said something hurtful to someone and once it was out, you couldn't take it back and the damage was done. And once in a while, you think back to those words that you said and you just wish that you could do things over. You have regret for what you said. Perhaps the regret is not speaking up to acknowledge something when you were in high school and not acknowledging that something that your friends or maybe a colleague at work was doing that was wrong and you regret not saying something at the time. Right? Sometimes we regret not caring for people the way that we should have and saying something that was about something that was going on in their own lives to help steer them in a better direction and you realize the toll that their decisions took on their lives and you only wish that you could go back and actually have the courage to, to love them and say what they needed to hear at that time in their life. You may have a regret of letting your marriage fall apart, wishing now that you had fought just a little bit harder or a little bit longer, or it could be a regret of getting involved with the wrong group of friends and making some poor decisions years and years ago. You know, we all have this collection of regrets, but here's the thing about regrets, that regrets can really bring us down, can't they? When we, I mean, when we collect physical junk in our lives, it literally weighs us down. And we're stuck carting it from town to town, from home to home, or for many of you, from country to country, right? Boxes of things from your past, and it makes moving around in life harder because you have boxes of things that, you've collected over the years. Not just the physical items, but the same is true with our regrets. They're like heavy weights that we drag around throughout life. Because no matter how much we may want to, we can't go back and change the past, right? And so we just keep dragging them around. And even worse though, is when we allow our regrets to define us. Because of the things that you've done in your past, you may have come to define yourself with words such as incapable, a failure, damaged, dirty, broken, weak, or unworthy. These may be words that come to your mind when you think about all of the things that you've done in your past. And whenever you start to feel good about yourself or just when someone comes into your life that is encouraging, then you take out that box of regrets and remind yourself of what you did or what you said in the past and you convince yourself that you're not worthy, that you're not the person that you've been pretending to be. Well, the Apostle Paul was a guy who had a lot in life 
that he could have regretted. Which may be surprising because he was so spiritual, right? I mean, he did write most of the books, or he wrote more books of the Bible than anyone else in Scripture. So how could someone like that have anything to regret? Someone who just made such a big impact in the world and did so many great things. Well, it's true that he was a devoted, devoted follower of Jesus, but he wasn't always that way. Paul was a very different person in his earlier days, weren't we all? And he even different, Paul, uh, Paul had even had a different name though. It wasn't just that he was different in his character. He had a different name and he was known as Saul. And when he was known as Saul, he was still an extremely religious man. In fact, he was part of a zealous religious group called the Pharisees who went to extreme lengths to display their spirituality and make it known before others. And they liked to exercise religious control over others in society. And along with others like him, Saul was someone who rejected Jesus as the Savior. He rejected Jesus as the Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting that had been promised would come and save them. And likely, as other Pharisees did, he would have seen Jesus as a, as a threat to the religious power that he possessed as a Pharisee. So not only did Saul reject Jesus, though, he intensely persecuted those who followed Jesus. And he did that in an attempt to stop the message of Jesus from circulating. He didn't want anyone else to follow Jesus because Jesus was disrupting the hierarchy of, of, of religious power that had been set up and that he was enjoying so much. He literally terrorized Christians. And in the book of Acts, we read that when a follower of Jesus named Stephen uh, publicly challenged the religious leaders over their rejection of Jesus, Paul stood by and even gave his approval as people threw rocks at Stephen and killed him, something called a stoning. And then as people buried Stephen and mourned for him, Saul began to destroy the church. He would go from house to house, dragging off men and women and throwing them into prison. It wasn't a very nice guy at all. And if you're familiar with Saul's story, you know that Paul had a life-changing encounter with Jesus that forever changed who he was. That's when his name was changed to Paul to reflect the major change in his life and Paul became a devoted follower of Christ, giving the rest of his life to spread the news about the gift of salvation that God had given the world through Christ. But just think about Paul now as a follower of Jesus. Just imagine the regret he could have carried around his whole life after all of the things he'd done for, to the actual community that he now loved so much. I mean, it must have been times where he would go into a town in a gathering of Christians where he must have just felt so you know, shameful about being the person who had persecuted and terrorized them in the way that he did. How could he live with himself as a Christ follower after hurting so many people? He could have carried these things around with him and he certainly could have allowed these things to define who he was, but he didn't. And so what did he do to deal with his pastor? How did he process the things that could have been major regrets for him? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 12. 
Paul wrote this to a young man that he left uh, in charge of a church named Timothy. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. So first of all, we just see that in light of who Paul once was, the salvation and redemption he'd received from God led him to this humble gratitude. He's like, you know what? First of all, I just want to thank Christ that he would consider me trustworthy. Someone who was such a failure in the past, someone who had sinned so greatly in the past that he would consider me trustworthy and appoint me to his service. So not just for the forgiveness that he was shown, but that God would use Paul to be a light in the world for God. Isn't that amazing that that God would take someone like, like Paul and use him for such tremendous purposes to be a light for God himself in the world. It never ceases to amaze me that God would use me for ministry, to be honest. I'm so humbled that God could take a broken and sinful person like myself. There are many days where I could bring out that box of regrets and, and, and just say, like, what are you doing? You know, why, how, how could you lead a church, you know? How can you call people to Christ when you know, you know, all of the things from your past, you know how foolish you were when you were young. And so I'm humbled that God would take a broken and sinful person like myself and use me for his purpose. I understand Paul's heart here as he begins talking to Timothy. The thing is, you don't all have to be a pastor, but God has forgiven your past in order to appoint you to service in his kingdom. That every single one of you who have heard the message of God's salvation and then turned to God, God has forgiven you for a reason. And as broken as your past may seem or as as big as the failures may seem in your life, God actually wants to use you for servants in his kingdom. How humbling, isn't it? How amazing that is that God would use, I won't speak for yourself, but someone like myself for his purposes. And next, Paul actually talks a little bit about where he had come from. In verse 13, he says, even though I once was a blasphemer, meaning he rejected that Jesus was the son of God and a persecutor and a violent man. He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, even though he did these terrible things, God poured out his grace abundantly upon Paul. And just like God has poured out his grace upon Paul, he's poured out his grace abundantly on all of us today. And even though we've rejected God and we've chosen things that directly oppose what God has called us to do in our lives, and even though we have things in our lives that we may now regret, God has shown us mercy. And this, is, this truth is what led Paul to pen these next words in verse 15. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Meaning the whole reason Paul says that Christ came into the world was to save sinners of which he humbly acknowledges that he was the worst, which I think is debatable. But that's a very humble statement to say, I am the worst of all sinners. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, terrible sinners throughout history. 
Paul says that God sent his son for people just like him, for himself, who've done the most terrible things and, and we've all done terrible things that we know we shouldn't have done. Or we've said things that we know we shouldn't have said or thought things that we know we shouldn't think. But just listen to what Paul says next in verse 16. He says, but for that very reason, for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's saying that God didn't just have a purpose for the new Paul. God didn't just have a purpose once Paul could finally, you know, clean up his life and turn his life around. And then God's like, okay, once you do everything perfectly, then I can use you for my purposes. But Paul is saying that God used the biggest failures of Paul's life for his purposes. Because in showing mercy to Paul, who was, as he described himself, the worst of sinners, Jesus displayed or made known the immensity of his patience. And so if it weren't for the obvious nature of Paul's failures, God's mercy and greatness wouldn't be so greatly seen. Does that make sense? Jesus displayed or made known the immensity of his patience. Through Christ, the greatest sins of Paul's life became the greatest example of God's mercy. It's incredible that God would work in that way. Anyone remember? I, don't, I mean, they could still be on TV. I don't know if anyone just watches TV like we used to when commercials would come on on a regular basis. But anyone remember the old Tide commercials? And I seem to remember there's always a pair of white socks that would come out, right? And what would happen? They would, they would have some socks that had the toughest stains on the socks, right? What kind of stains were on the socks? Typically... Grass stains were, were the, always the, the, the worst stain that you could imagine getting on a white pair of socks, right? But then what happened? They would wash those socks in Tide and the Tide would get even the toughest stains out, right? And so it was really important to, to, for them to display the worst stains possible in the socks because the worst stains meant what? It meant that the Tide was extremely powerful, right? I mean, if they brought out some socks and, and the socks like had some dust on them and they're like, look at the way that the tide gets the dust off the socks, you'd be like, well, that seems like a big waste of money, right? And so the, the, worst, the, the, the worst that the stain was in the socks, the greater the power that you'd see in the tide. And this is kind of the idea that Paul was saying about the sin in his life, that God came into the world to forgive the sins in his life. Because in doing so, God's greatness, his love and his mercy was so clearly seen because of the sinfulness in his life. And then Paul finally explained, as God demonstrated his mercy in Paul's life, that actually became a vivid example, not just to Paul of God's mercy, but a vivid example of God's love for everyone else in the world to see. So that everyone else in the world who, who was very aware of their brokenness and their failures and their sin and the things that they were so shameful about, as people saw that, that Paul had received mercy from God and knowing what Paul had done, surely then there was hope for themselves. 
And it's amazing that God planned it that way all along to show mercy to people like Paul so that even more people who, have, who knew their sin all too well could come to know the love and the mercy of God and turn to him and receive mercy for their own sins. I mean, how amazing is that? The greater the sin God forgives, the greater his mercy is revealed. And so you may have a lot of regrets this morning. You may have made poor choices. Yes, you have said things or done things that you shouldn't have said or done. We all have. But in Christ, your regrets actually don't need to be regrets any longer. You don't need to carry them around just struggling to you know, deal with the shame and the guilt that you have. We're not saying that, you know what, and Paul makes this clear in scripture, oh, well, then we should just go out and sin more because the more we sin, then the more God's mercy can be revealed. It's like, well, no, there's probably enough sin in all of our lives for God's mercy to be displayed clearly, right? But here's the thing. Through Christ, your greatest regrets can become the greatest testimony of God's love. Through your greatest regrets in Christ, your greatest regrets can become the greatest testimony of God's love. As you turn to God and experience the mercy that he shows you for all of those things you've done in the past and, and, and experience his forgiveness, you don't need to hide those things in the basement of your life. The church doesn't need to be a place where we just pretend that we were perfect our whole lives. That's just fake, right? And then someone comes into the church and they're looking around going, well, all of these people seem like they have it all together. Why do they really need God in their lives? I'm, I'm way too dirty to be cleaned up by God, right? Rather, if we're honest about our regrets and if we're open about the things from our past, not bragging about sin, but humbly acknowledging, you know what? I did a lot of stupid things in my life. I did a lot of things in my life that, that, that does not please God. And yet, you know what? When I turned to God, I discovered love and mercy like never before. And God has forgiven my sins. Then when someone comes into this place who's dealing with regret and sin in their own lives, they can realize, wow, if that person can experience the mercy of God, and if God can change that person's life so dramatically, then surely God could change my life as well. Wouldn't that be so much more helpful? Not just for our lives and the way that we see our past and deal with our regrets, but also in the way that people can come to know God through the way God can work in our regrets. Through Christ, your greatest regrets become the greatest testimony about God's love. Through Christ, regrets are no longer regrets. They're example of God's mercy for others to see and find mercy themselves. And so you don't need to keep your regrets hidden any longer. So let's not pretend that those things don't exist. As Paul did, let's acknowledge the depth of our sinfulness. But then magnify the vastness of God's love who has given us his mercy in ways that we could never have imagined and drawn us to himself and also in his mercy, given us a role in his kingdom to serve, to love people and to declare what God has done for us to those around us. The church can't be a place of regrets. 
nor is it a place to hide our sin. I have failures in my life. You have failures in your life because we've all sinned. But God sent his son into the world to forgive all of our sins so that his mercy can be seen through our lives. And if you've never turned to God before, you know what? I hope you get a glimpse of God's mercy this morning and you don't wait any longer. God doesn't expect you to get your whole life straightened out before you can be worthy enough to know him. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You will never clean yourself up enough to be worthy for God. All you can do is turn to him and experience his love. He wants to forgive you. He wants to draw you close and he wants to make you a part of his kingdom. And so don't keep a box of regrets hidden away. Let's share our story. And may the greatest regrets of your life be used by God to become the greatest testimony of his love.